0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Awe and Wonder podcast. I'm Kristen Hamilton. So this will be our introduction and coverage of chapter one. In the book that we're going through, The Joy of Fearing God by Jerry Bridges. It is not essential that you have purchased the book in order to listen along with us for the discussion. I think it'll still be profitable and edifying. There is a study guide in the back of the book, and the first lesson says that it covers chapters one and two. So I'm going to go through like the first five questions on the study guide that pertain to chapter one. Um, in this episode, but I'm just going to do it like not, not just reading the question and reading what my answer is, but hopefully um, I'll be able to convey the ideas here in a cohesive way. I do have lots of resources in front of me (laughs) on the left and the right of my microphone here. So I will be jumping around, and I have a lot of notes scribbled down on my notebook, and through this study, I have found it very helpful to me in digging into the fear of God and what that really means. I've made a lot of connections between things that Jerry has written and the passages that he has referenced um, to look up in the study guide. And then um, in my Bible, I'm using the Reformation Study Bible from Ligonier Ministries. So I have all of the notes um, on most of these verses and references of Scripture. And they have been very, very helpful in connecting dots and different things that I might not have thought about otherwise. So hopefully I'll be able to, even though I'm jumping around um, make it into a cohesive, edifying discussion of the fear of God. Okay, so right from the get-go, in chapter one, in the first paragraph, um, Jerry Bridges opens by saying, The joy of fearing God? It sounds like a contradiction in terms. One of the first times I used the expression, my listener, a Christian leader, gave a puzzled look and responded, That's an interesting combination of words. I suspect he was being polite as he really thought, How can anyone enjoy fear? And more to the point, How can you enjoy fearing God? Christianity means a relationship with God, but how can you have a relationship with someone you fear? So that brings out some good points to introduce the idea. Um, First of all, I was sort of surprised that a Christian leader would be possibly thinking those things or being puzzled, but it is possible. Christians and Christian leaders today may not really fully understand what the fear of God is. It is a contradiction, for sure, to enjoy fear. We don't often think of enjoying something that we fear. And most of us do not think of fearing God as in a terrifying type of way. But we are going to focus more on the relationship with God connection there. So throughout the discussion, keeping in mind that Christianity is a relationship with God, then we will talk about how you can have a relationship with someone that you fear and what ways we mean fear. So the confused state of this person that was talking to Jerry about his book's topic, being a religious leader, Um, a Christian leader, um, acting a little confused, was telling about the state, the current state of Christianity today, where we don't fully understand the fear of God. And I looked up the definition of God-fearing man. So two definitions that pop right up on Google, uh, the first from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says, who is a God-fearing man? used to describe religious people who try to obey the rules of their religion and to live in a way that is considered morally right. And another definition from your dictionary says, what does it mean to be a God-fearing person? The definition of fearing God is people who are devout or religious. People who go to church every Sunday and who obey the teachings of the Lord are an example of people who would be described as God-fearing. So, Jerry Bridges talks about, in the next paragraph, how being referred to as a God-fearing person used to be like a badge of honor. Why is being considered a God-fearing person not a badge of honor nowadays, and how have we lost what that means? Well, I think that if people uh, would read those two definitions and believe that those are correct, that they are devout and religious people, people that go to church on Sunday who obey the teachings of the Lord or would be um, obeying the rules of their religion or living in a way that's considered morally right, those ideas a lot of times get labeled as legalism being devout, uh, being radical, being pious. And a lot of those terms are misunderstood or misapplied, I think, today. So, like legalism, people may say that, you know, obeying the commands of God would be legalistic, but In reality, you need to take it a step further and realize that it would be any laws of man that you are trying to keep and obey is what's legalistic, not following the laws of God. And so like the Pharisees in the Bible, they took things further than what God did in the scriptures, whereas they were making a whole bunch of other laws and rules to follow. Like for the Sabbath, for example, God commanded what he did about the Sabbath, that it was a day of rest and that type of thing. And the Jewish Pharisees took it even further. They made, I don't remember, I just recently heard the number on another podcast. I forget if it was like 600 and some, it was some crazy amount of laws that you were to follow in order to be considered following God's law, making it a day of rest. So you had to not do this, 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 and this, or you had to do this, 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 and this in order for it to be considered a day of rest or to be fulfilling what God had commanded for the Sabbath. Things like that would be legalism if you're following to the letter man's laws or what additional laws and rules that man puts in place to say that you're following God's laws or otherwise. Also, Piety, like I mentioned, I looked up the definition for that, too, because I'm Reformed now, but before I was Reformed, just being in the evangelical Christian world, I can see where piety was misunderstood as well. Um, Being Reformed, you hear a lot about piety, and when I was first hearing that, it sort of was a sour word to me because of the evangelical culture that sort of, um, I would say, equates legalism with piety. And in a way, from the outside, it may look the same. Um, But if you understand the true definition of legalism, being following man's laws and rules, uh, versus piety is following God's laws and rules. It is defined here on Wikipedia, because it's one of the first things that comes up as A virtue which may include religious devotion, spirituality, or a mixture of both. Let's see. On dictionary.com, it says piety is a reverence for God or devout fulfillment of religious obligations, like a prayer full of piety, the quality or state of being pious, saintly piety, dutiful respect or regard for parents, homeland, etc., So the part about the reverence for God and that it does focus on the holiness of God and the connection that in our Christian life, we are being sanctified and being made more and more like Christ, which would equate to becoming more and more holy. But I think a lot of people think of piety as synonymous with legalism and also with maybe even showing it off, Um, just being religious, like a religious show, also like the Pharisees um, in the Bible. So um, how they were showing their giving or showing their elaborate prayers and things like that. So in that regard, it would be viewed as a negative thing. And then the devout and radical aspect, just, you know, to be a Jesus freak, labeled a Jesus freak, or like, uh, you're so radical that you're just like the saying, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good, or like, you know, people just write off radical people as they're crazy. Um, They're too uh, fired up about their religion or whatever. And they're just nuts. So, All of these things that we can think of as being a God-fearing person, so whether it's being legalistic, piety, being radical, those are all things that are negative. So I would guess that nowadays it is not a badge of honor to be referred to as a God-fearing person because of those things. And also, it is popular in evangelical culture today to say that you are spiritual, but not religious. Like even the word religious, I think has a negative connotation. Because again, you are sort of synonymous with that radicalness, that nuts person type. (laughs) So um, I think that Because of all the new age infiltration that has happened with certain parts of Christianity and how it is looked at as cool or trending or the in thing, you know, for things such as yoga and meditation and I don't know, even other religions and even spiritual supernatural things, um, all the signs and wonders, all of these things can be sort of grouped into the wanting to be spiritual but not religious because religious is synonymous in many people's minds with the things I just talked about as in piety doing things for show being legalistic and being radical so I think that's why people don't want to be known as God-fearing people today. And that's really sad. So we want to go and figure out then um, if God fearing is not legalistic, it's not a show, it is not radical, necessarily, I mean, I guess it could be but that it is actually a good thing to be religious, and that we are following God's laws, and we are pious in the way of becoming more and more like Christ. That is what we need to think of. Moving on then for other thoughts, um, Jerry in the first chapter talks about how the Bible connects the fear of the Lord or the fear of God with knowledge and wisdom. So there's a quote in this study guide for lesson one, where Jerry says, Join me in our journey to discover that there's joy in the fear of God, that the title of this book is not an oxymoron, but a glorious truth. Strange as it may seem, there is joy in fearing God. The Bible says God delights in those who fear him and holds out to them the promise of blessing. Surely then, this is a subject that deserves our attention. So we see, and we will see through some of these scripture references, that God does delight in those who fear him. So the first aspect of uh, fearing the Lord is that it is the beginning of knowledge and then that it is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I ask the question, how can you have a relationship with someone that you don't know? That is where the knowledge comes in, is to know God To truly know him. And that is obviously done by reading the scripture and seeing and studying his attributes. Jerry says that knowledge is more than an accumulation of information. It is the ability to view that information with the right perspective and use for the proper end. So, for example, tying it to relationships, you get to know somebody And that would be your accumulation of information. And then a step further to view that information with the right perspective. And he gives an example of two people like person number one would think that knowledge is simply equal to position, power and possessions. So the person is going to take their knowledge, you know, their education or experience, whatever, however they get that knowledge. And they're going to use that to advance their position, whether it's at a job or whatever, um, or to use it for power in some way, or for acquiring more possessions. So that would be more the way that the world would look at what knowledge is and what it's used for. The second person, obviously, would be a Christian, uh, where knowledge is a gift from God. So any education experience or ways that you get knowledge is a gift from God. And that stewardship is to be used to serve God. So ultimately, that knowledge would be used in your Christian life for its proper end, to serve God, to carry out the Great Commission, and whatnot. They are two very different takes on knowledge and what it can get you, so to speak, or how you use it. So its proper end is different for the Christian versus the non-Christian. So the fear of God is having a right perspective so that you use knowledge and information that you have for the proper end, which is to glorify God. So, and that's the next point that I wrote down from reading is that our main goal in life should be to glorify God. That's the ultimate goal in which all knowledge should be directed. And that is the first question on the Westminster um, Catechism, where the Westminster Larger Catechism says, what is the chief and highest end of man? Meaning what is our purpose in life? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. So a Christian is to use our knowledge toward that end to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And Jerry says people who fear God can use their knowledge both to glorify God and enjoy him. So then we move on to wisdom Wisdom is good judgment or the ability to develop best course of action in response to a given situation. So the most succinct way to say this is that biblical wisdom always factors God into the equation. Whatever the case might be, the circumstance or situation, God is always factored in. Glorifying him, praising him, thanking him and obeying his commands is ultimately the way that someone with biblical wisdom will think and that's the direction they will go so to get an idea for a just sort of a overview idea of what the fear of God means there were a list of passages of scripture to look up and I'm going to just list those off right now in case anybody is interested in Looking those up themselves, I would encourage you to do so, so you can sort of be part of this study and making your own connections. So Exodus 9, 27 to 30, where Moses is speaking to Pharaoh and his court during the time of the plagues. We have Exodus 20, verses 18 to 21, where Moses is speaking to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai after God had given them the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 31, 9-13, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel near the end of his life just before the people entered the promised land. Joshua 4, 15-24, where Joshua is speaking to the people after they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land. 1 Samuel 12, 16-25, where Samuel is speaking to the people of Israel after Saul was confirmed as the king they had requested. 2 Samuel 23, 1-4, King David's final song. 1 Kings 8, 37-43, King Solomon's prayer of dedication for the temple. 2 Chronicles 19, 4-10, King Jehoshaphat speaking to leaders and priests he had appointed. Nehemiah 5, 1 through 9. Nehemiah is speaking to people in Jerusalem who are mistreating their fellow Israelites. Acts 10, 27 to 35. Peter is speaking to those gathered in the home of Cornelius the centurion. And that's it for that question. Um, just examples of where the fear of the Lord or the fear of God is mentioned and how the people in those situations felt and their reactions. And it gives you an overview of what we can take the fear of God to mean. And then the next question also helps with that, where there are a list of passages to look up that would add to our biblical understanding of the fear of God. So these are passages where the fear of God is closely associated with something else. So from that connection, we can kind of get more of an idea as well. That list is Leviticus 25.17, Deuteronomy 10.12, Joshua 24.14, Job 28.28, Psalm 2.11, Psalm thirty three eighteen Psalm one twenty eight one Psalm one forty seven eleven Proverbs twenty two four Isaiah eight thirteen and Zephaniah three seven So, those are helpful verses to also look up to get a good understanding and see the connection between the fear of God and something else. So, from distilling those verses down, um, my list of things is that fearing God is respect and recognition of God and His sovereignty, His power and glory, His faithfulness, His justice and holiness that he will bring judgment on disobedience, knowledge of his grace and attributes, knowledge of his laws, recognizes God as our gracious father and gives him honor and praise, cultivates a love for God and puts us in right relationship with him, honoring and serving God by obedience to his law is how we love him, It is committing our lives to God in trust, honor, and obedience with our whole hearts. And fearing God is closely associated with honoring and respecting, in other words, not wronging others. Love God by obeying his ways with your whole heart and soul. Serving the Lord, doing all for his glory and in obedience with sincerity and faithfulness by ensuring idols are abolished and God is your one and only, wisdom and turning away from evil, hope in his steadfast love, humility and accepting correction from God, which leads to life, and honoring and recognizing God's holiness and sovereignty as the ultimate authority to whom all must submit, in whom all must trust, and to whom everyone must render an account. That last little tidbit there was a note in my Reformation Study Bible that God's holiness and sovereignty is recognizing him as the ultimate authority to whom all must submit, to whom all must trust, and to whom everyone must render an account. I just thought that was a really good note to put that into perspective. So number five in the study guide, this question says, Proverbs fourteen twenty seven speaks of the fear of the Lord as being a fountain of life or a life-giving fountain. How is that concept supported by what you see in the following passages? So I'll go ahead and list off those passages so that you can look them up if you would like to. And then I have a little bit to discuss in relation to that. So uh, the first one is Psalm 103, 11 to 13, Psalm one eleven five, 5, Psalm 111, 10, Psalm 128, 1 through 4, Psalm 145, 19, Okay, that looks like that was it. And so with those passages, the first one being Proverbs fourteen twenty seven, and the, the other ones in Psalm, here is the list of things from those Psalms that shows how the fear of God is the fountain of life. God gives steadfast love, compassion, and removes our sins and transgressions from us. He provides us with food, physical and spiritual. Um, one of his names is the bread of life. Israelites, manna in the wilderness. He remembers his covenant forever. Covenant is the relationship he established with us to save us forever. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and good understanding. It is the right way to approach God so that our relationship is restored through that covenant. The Lord is God-inspiring reverence and awe. He will make good his threats against the wicked. Blessing, he'll give us blessing, which is enjoying God's spiritual favor and grace, which is our salvation. Eating the fruit of our labor is a just situation of the righteous prospering from their own labor. That's one of the ways that we're blessed. They will have a wife like a fruitful vine. We see the connection of vine meaning grapes. And grapes were joy, a source of joy to the Israelites. Children being like olive shoots. Um, Olives and olive oil were a very valued staple for the Israelites. And God fulfills our desires, hears our cry, and saves us. I was able to get some of those connections from the notes in the Reformation Study Bible. The note it had for Proverbs 3.18, it says that life in the Bible is essentially linked to our relationship with God. Disruption of the proper relationship with God, the source of life, leads to death. Wisdom is concerned with proper relationships with God, other people, and nature. So another sidebar off that real quick, the other people in that note is connected with Psalm 119.63, where the note says, obedience to the Lord takes place in community with other believers who also serve the Lord. So that was just an interesting side note where another thing we see a lot today is individualism and having our own spiritual lives or even that it would be private or, you know, that it's all about us and all that kind of stuff and our personal quiet time. But always keeping in mind that we are part of a body of believers and that we are to be connected and plugged into our local churches and serving and ministering through our churches. And so this note where wisdom is concerned with the proper relationships with God, other people, and nature, just to help us to realize that obedience to the Lord takes place in community with other believers who also serve the Lord. So um, part of what we need to be doing is worshiping with and serving with, doing ministry with, and ministry to or for the people in our churches. So the idea of relationship here is brought back up where life is linked to our relationship with God. Obviously, at the original sin with Adam and Eve, disobeying God, eating the apple or the fruit, their relationship, their communion with each other between God and man was broken and sin entered. Sin keeps us separated from God. And obviously, non-believers are separated from God. So this whole idea that God is our fountain of life, that he made a covenant with humans to restore that relationship, to give us spiritual life and eternal life, is linked to our relationship with him. So that is the purpose for Christ dying on the cross, to forgive our sins and to impute his righteousness upon us so that our relationship with him can be restored. There was a note on Proverbs 1.7, and it's a rather long note, but part of it I'll share right now says, God's redemptive covenant with his people and the special revelation that accompany it are foundational for true wisdom. In Deuteronomy, fear of the Lord means living by the stipulations of the covenant in grateful response to God's redemptive grace. So again, it comes back to God and his covenant and our salvation, meaning our relationship being restored to God. And that is the foundation of wisdom. Because remember, the other note was saying wisdom is concerned with proper relationships with God, other people and nature. So really, the fear of God is linked with wisdom and knowledge and using those well, using your knowledge to the proper end, always keeping God in the forefront, doing things for his glory and with proper relationships with God, other people and nature. So those are just some of the connections that I was able to make and some of the notes um, that were in my Bible that I wanted to share I think that's it for now as far as giving us sort of an overview of what the fear of God is. That isn't a real solid, solid definition. It's not succinct yet, which Jerry Bridges recognizes that in the first chapter, it's sort of just touching on it and a big, like a big picture overview. We will be looking at more details as we get into the book further. So, the second chapter, which I have read, is called A Parable of Awe. And it is um, a parable about a Marine. And even if you're not a military person, it's a good analogy of the fear of God. And we get to talk about what awe is and even um, like the use of the word awesome. So, I think that will be it for now. And. You can be reading the second chapter, uh, moving through the first lesson of the study guide. And I hope that everybody who wants to be attempting to memorize the scripture verse that you're doing so. I know I am, and I've been on the BibleMemory.com app. I find it very helpful. I was able to pretty much commit it to memory within one afternoon. I think that I can do it and I will attempt it right here, right now. So it is Hebrews twelve twenty-eight and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. So I pretty much have that verse in memory, but I'm still practicing. So we have another week to work on it. And uh, then after that, we'll be changing verses. And I will have another printable page and bookmark up on my website. Um, if you want to be printing those, if they're helpful for you, or if you just want pretty bookmarks and pretty pictures that have verses on them that you could print out and frame or put around somewhere. And um, hopefully I will get the next episode on chapter two out in a timely manner. This one is a little bit late, but it's okay. I'm kind of doing the intro and chapter one all at once. Anyway, my kids uh, started school today, the high schoolers um, who are going to be in school two days a week. So getting my Routine started here with doing a podcast on Mondays, most of the time. Next week will be a little bit different because of Labor Day, but uh, we will get in a routine here. You can visit my website at wwwkristen hamiltoncom You can find me on social media, many places. Um, if you go to my contact page on the website. It gives all the places where you can find me, gives the email address. I have a voicemail set up, all of that good stuff. I don't think that I'll continue repeating all of that at the end of every episode. So just go to www.kristen-hamilton.com and you'll find all the information there. Keep reading your Bibles.